in there. Hey, I don't believe that any system is totally secure. I bet you Jim could get in. Yeah, I bet you he couldn't. I bet you he could. Well, you'll never get in through the frontline security, but you might look for a back door. I can't believe it, Jim. That girl standing over there listening and you're talking about our back door? Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head, back doors are not secrets. Yeah, but Jim, you're giving away all our best well, we'll, see. well, thanks, Dennis. Got to do that editing. You already Why, did really you start knocking it? it out of the park. Did yeah, you start it? Yeah, toast. Yeah. Toast. No, this is, toast. <laughs> this, is, this is on the episode. I Everybody's didn't even laughing. toast yet. Such a strong toast. <laughs> oh, that's not the movie we're talking about, Dennis. We're not talking about Mission Impossible 1, where the guy has the decibel reader because he's in the knock list. That is a famous, iconic hacking scene. You forget that that's a hacking scene, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, you wouldn't think of that as being like, oh, that's one of the top 10 hacking things. But they're breaking into that room because it's like completely like air gap network, right? Uh, actually, I'm going to have to plead a little bit. Ignore. It's been so long since I've seen the Mission Impossible movies. You didn't. I mean, we were, we were recording a podcast about Mission Impossible 1. You didn't. You didn't watch the movie ahead of time? <laughs> I thought this was the War Games podcast. Oh, Shit. okay. Okay, War Games. Well, I guess we can do that one. It is, uh, yeah, War Games. The, I mean, is it? Is there any doubt that it is the best hacker movie? I don't think that there is any doubt, because I was just racking my brains. I think, um, well, I mean, are you in, in terms of authenticity, is that what we're mm, how we're grading? I'm gonna I'm gonna say in any dimension. Let's let's have an argument. In what dimension is there a better hacker movie out there? Do you think that the Matrix is just a better movie, be, and there's hacking in it, or what's what's your what's your argument? I certainly think that the Matrix is a better movie. You're wrong. And then also, <laughs> I guess it's just because, like, you know, War Games came out you know I, I didn't watch war games right when it came out right you know i was a <laughs> uh but i watched hackers when it came out and that really just uh, so that that has a that holds a special place in my heart zero cool i mean and, what about hackers okay i get sentimental value but yeah. what about the movie hackers that's it i mean I, that's not doesn't make something better it's because it has more sentimental value to you you're a little binky dennis a little two-year-old binky <laughs> It's not the best blanket that was ever made. Yes, it it's is just your little blanket. binky. And by the way, I've been meaning to say something. You should stop attending meetings on Zoom with your binky insight. <laughs> I promise nothing. Um. I, well, I'm going to go on. A, here are the dimensions. One, I think it's, it's just a great movie. It really rolls. And I'll, I'll give you a look. I mean, I did watch this movie as soon as I was old enough to watch movies, which was very young. Like we were in HBO house and not a lot of supervision, you know, like I had a yep. sister that was four years older than I am. And a lot of times she's in charge of like, you know, a six year old watching a two year old. And, and at the time that this movie came out 83, I'm a, I'm a baby, but as soon as I'm watching movies, I'm watching this movie. Like I grew up watching this movie hundreds of times probably. And then since the nineties, probably I've watched it at least once every few years. And I'd say in the four decades I've been watching this movie, I've definitely gotten new things out of it, right? As like my career has progressed or whatever, like I see new angles every time I watch it. But that's so that's why I think it's not only 
better than the matrix, which I get very, I get less and less out of every time I watch the movie, the matrix, but, uh, I think it's, yeah, by far the best computer theme security movie out there. Yeah. I mean, there's no, it, it is very, it's very good. You know, I don't disagree. Um, and it was actually good to come back. I'm glad that you proposed this because it had been a while since I had watched it. Cause I think I had watched it, um, years ago, uh, mm. you know, but kind of for the first time in a, in a long while and mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah, you know, this is, uh, yep. This is pr- not only, yeah, it is a good movie, but okay. Yeah. The accurate portrayal of war dialing and stuff. And I know that you're going to dive into all this. So I won't steal any thunder, but, um, yeah, it, it it was great. It was good timing to rewatch this movie. I'll just say that. Cool. Um, yeah. So so yeah, that's what we're doing. This is summer blockbuster season, right? So we're dialing back the clock, going in nineteen eighty three, <laughs> mm-hmm. and watching. It did actually. It was released June third, nineteen eighty three. So it was is a summer blockbuster. Um. So your history of this movie is you just kind of watched it later on in adolescence or kind of was on your radar, not on your radar. Or when, when did this, maybe this is one of those days where like this movie is, it's very, uh, you know, I have a lot of, of, uh, of affection for this movie and it's something that, uh, you like, but you don't know much about. Well, no, I definitely remember watching this movie growing up, um, because my older brothers would have put it on. Um, and I know that it was one of their favorite movies. So we watched, you know, I, I have seen it, you know, I had seen it growing up, Mm -hmm. but before having, I probably saw this movie before I actually even really got into computers. Can I ask, do you know if your dad has a take on this movie, him being like a military guy and also interested in computers in the (laughs) eighties? Uh, (laughs) my dad was, in the Marines, but my dad certainly would not describe himself as a computer guy or having an interest in computers. So. Well, he had a computer. For, I mean, I know that. I know that. I don't know what you're trying to to do. Your dad, one of your dad's good friends, had a was a computer guy, and and uh, I don't know. At least some common interest there, or was that just they had a common interest, but it was not in computers. Their common interest was in historical reenactment. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's almost a historical movie, but I've got some, I've got some thoughts. Yeah. So let's, let's just break this down. Um, so I guess we should say if you, if you haven't watched the original 1983 war games, then watch it first. Don't this, this shouldn't be your first introduction to the movie. <laughs> and I think, I think it's timing is good because I think this is something that resonates with a lot of maybe folks, um, who have, have been doing, you know, computer securities, you know, since the, you know, 90s, 2000s, but I think there's people, I mean, I can't imagine when I was, when I was starting my career, I certainly wasn't going back and watching, you know, Colossus from like 55, which actually has kind of similar themes to this movie, you know, of, uh, or, you know, it just wasn't something that, that, uh, I don't think I was watching any movie from the fifties when I was, you know, in the, in the late nineties or something like that. So, I guess it's it's maybe something that we could could you know if if you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen it and are interested in computer security or are interested in just watching a good movie then I would highly recommend that you do that. Okay, first. we I don't think that we need to like <laughs> spend Turn several minutes on the spoiler alert warning for spoiler a movie that's 38 alert. Okay. years old. 
Okay. Okay. Opening scene. Here's a new thing that I got out of this. Okay. I love the Jeeps in this movie. So oh. there's a 74, you know, these, these Air Force Jeeps. The first one we see is a 74 Jeep SJ, which I'm into four-wheel drive, and they're driving through a sandstorm, and you don't even know what's going on yet. But mm-hmm. I love that. I love the opening scene. We don't even see these characters. I mean, we see these characters like for 20 seconds after this opening scene <laughs> scrambled throughout the movie. Yes. But this Jeep, so this Jeep pulls up to a house in the middle of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. And these guys get out. It's air you can barely see with the sandstorm, these opening scenes. And it's the guy from LA Law, John Spencer. That's how I know him, is primarily his work in LA Law. And a young Michael Madsen from Reservoir Dogs. So these uh, guys. Yes. Okay. That's who that was. All right. These guys, both pretty big time actors, yeah. and they're just almost in this like throwaway part, but they're playing. You know, you've got the classic, you know, senior guy, more junior guy, and they go into this house and what looks like a house, and then they open one more door and you're in secret government facility, right? It, yes. Well, they're presenting their credentials through a two, you know, a two way mirror in the yeah. house, which by the way, immediately at the scene, I was like, huh, I wonder if Kev installed his bookshelf door in his lake house. I'm ob- <laughs> I'm obsessed with the idea of, you know, which is comes from these 80 movies yeah. of like secret passageways. And yeah, I've got some, some hopes and ideals there, but yeah. So that was my so, first note of this movie was ask Kev about bookshelves. No, not yet. I just don't, I'm not handy enough to do it myself. Okay. There is some, uh, some debate in my, my immediate family. I'll let you guess who. Yeah. Uh, so these guys, get in it and they're they're in this hidden missile silo they take the elevator down and what happens uh they take the elevator down there is a shift change uh Mm -hmm. with the other crew that is um manning the missile silo right and then they sit down they sort of go through their daily routine and then they get a incoming command and they punch in all yeah. the codes, and it's time to launch the missiles. It's go time. Have you? Have you? I know. Have you seen Crimson Tide? A long time ago. Well, so Crimson Tide has a very similar scene where it's so a nuclear, uh, you know, authorization is coming in, and it's almost the exact same protocol, like. You know, they're getting the keys out of the lock boxes. They're getting or these authenticators. They're reading the code back. They're reading the codes to each other. It's just like, and Crimson Tide, I've got a buddy who was in the Navy who worked, who was a, uh, on, uh, he actually listens to the podcast, but he worked on nuclear submarines. And he said that this, you know, in Crimson Tide, by the time he was getting in a few hours, a few years after Crimson Tide was made there is still a lot of discussion of like how accurate that nuclear authentication scene was and i was like well this is very similar and they have an advisor the technical advisor on this stuff was a lieutenant colonel in the air force so Mm -hmm. obviously some pretty authentic at least that that procedure having been in both and kind of separately validated in in movie wise at least interesting the part that i was most uh wrapped up in (laughs) <laughs> with this first scene and the lead into the codes and all that stuff was uh i have a note here on red ascots being part of the official military uniform and they are all throughout this movie is that for yeah, real is that also historically accurate ascots know. okay well we'll put a note there to follow up on that 
Um, I love all the retro hardware too. It like just looks like a NASA oh. spaceship, you mm-hmm. know, of these these like tactile buttons you can press. And if totally. anybody else is if anybody else is into that kind of stuff, which I you know, I don't I don't do a lot of hardware stuff, but there is a great YouTube channel called Curious Mark where he's like rebuilding authentic NASA control panels and Russian clocks and stuff like that. So I, I would recommend that if you're into button pushing like I am. But um so they get the, you know, what they think is is a launch command and, and basically they're supposed to carry on the procedure. And uh the older guy hesitates. He's like, I'm not gonna I wanna know that this isn't some sort of system error. Um, you know, before I launched this, it got, before I guess he says he's going to kill 20 million people. Yeah. And the younger guy, you know, try also tries, you know, kind of to get somebody on the phone. They can't, but the younger guy is like pretty well set on doing the mission. And the other guy is basically hesitating and giving a moment and pause. Yes. And um, yeah, the younger guy is gung ho. Right, gun ho. He's gun ho. He actually points a a revolver at the other guy, which seems weird to me that these guys on the shift change would get revolvers. Like the whole thing of being down there is requires two people to be to get to like work together and independently towards the same purpose. Right, it's a verification thing. So, at what point does adding revolvers to the situation help? I don't know, (laughs) but I don't, maybe that's, maybe that's legit, but I I don't know. All I could think of (laughs) when he pulls the gun on his coworker, right. For not doing his job is like, Oh, I want to be a fly on the wall during that guy's next like performance review. I'm just like, Hey Bob, (laughs) her gym had to pull a gun on you again at work. Sorry, man. What's going on? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're definitely, I mean, they're, and they're buddies too. So it's, um, but uh, yeah, I go, I don't know what shooting him would actually do. I mean, he still wouldn't be able to, but what is this whole thing is a ruse. It's a tabletop exercise. It's a simulation. Yep. So the next seat cut to NORAD, right? There's a bunch of uh, we're seeing these this we're in this NORAD data center and all of the screens make noises, which is like, you know, anytime you see like a like, how annoying would that be at work? If you worked at a place that had all this stuff, just like constant bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> worrying and bleeps and bloops. Yes. Yep. And then we see Dabney Coleman, which I what's his, his name's like uh Critchett in the movie or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something like Cratchit, that. Cratchit. McKittrick, 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 something like that. Uh, so McKittrick is kind of the um, civilian technical analyst in charge, and they're all around this. It, I mean, it basically looks like a boardroom meeting that we would be in, uh, and hopefully soon we'll be in one again. But he's uh, they're discussing, and it kind of it's through subtext that you learn that this was a simulation, a tabletop exercise that it wasn't real, even though we saw cutscenes of like missiles firing up, <laughs> which I'm like, that's a pretty realistic tabletop mm. exercise if they're like for, you know, early ignition stages of these rockets. <laughs> but, um, and basically we learned that 22%, you know, this was across the country. They, they ran this test and 22% of missile commanders failed to launch. Um, so there's like civilian, this Dabney Coleman, this McKittrick, he's making the argument as a civilian analyst and he's talking to the general, which is the guy from Northern Exposure or what that's the other, the guy I know him from, uh, he's making the argument to like, well, let's take people out of the loop because the, you know, we have a computer that's giving the president information on how to base the, you know, on, on how to make the decision and, Really, we only have, I guess they narrow it down to like, if it's a sub-launch nuke from Russia to the U.S., there's six minutes to make a decision. 
And he's basically making this argument to say, let's take the people out of the loop. And that kind of sets up the rest of the movie is, you know, because ultimately, you know, in the real world, this can at the time couldn't have happened because people were in the loop, right? So it's actually a plot device and pretty compelling story to say, okay, well, we have this reason why everything is now going to be computer controlled. So it's it's almost a, yeah, it's really interesting, like in terms of we're automating this thing and opening up a new problem and all this stuff. So I, I really like that. Yeah, I, quick casting note, I would have actually, I think the movie would have been better if they took, did not have Dabney Coleman and just all of Dabney Coleman's scenes were replaced by that really neurotic uh, <laughs> guy with the goatee and glasses, the more compute, the guy who was in charge of the Whopper. hero of the movie. No, no, no. <laughs> He's the, yeah, no, I, I'm going to make an argument that that guy is the hero of this. Oh, movie. you are amazing. <laughs> okay. Yes. I love that. Guy I love that because, guy too. Oh my God. I, just, I mean, if there, if, Okay, who would you be in this movie? I would be that guy for sure. Oh, you, you might would totally be, be that you guy. You might be Matthew Broderick, no, the no, young no. <laughs> underachiever. I know exactly who I would be um, in this movie. <laughs> what are you? Okay, so who are you in this movie? I, you, okay, it's actually, it's still in the same scene. They're in the boardroom, uh-huh. right? And there's like the one guy who's just like, like they're telling him all the facts about why he's wrong and everything. And he's just like, I don't care. Just do it my way. I have to tell the president something. And he just is like being obstinate. Do you know who I'm talking about? The F, the, like the I F- think, yeah, I think oh, he's supposed God. to be like the chief of staff. Yeah, and he's like one of the villains like in the movie. Yeah. I would be that guy. <laughs> I, it's actually an interesting, you know, this movie is also cool because like at any point in time, I mean, you could name a protagonist, right? Like David, Matthew Broderick is definitely the protagonist of this movie, but it's actually kind of hard to name an a- antagonist to the movie. I mean, there's the computer that has, you know, or whatever. Actually, um, that would be the antagonist, right? I, I don't know. Like you can make an argument at different times, but it, it is kind of, it's a revolving, it's a very, it's a very compelling thing that we're watching these, these character changes. It's not so, and, and different people kind of take the antagonist thing a step. I guess the one argument it make is the, is uh, later on, I'll point out the real, the, the biggest creep in this movie uh, is, is the guy who is hitting on the receptionist later on, but okay. Oh my God. So, I have that in my, okay. We'll get there. So, so the basically they give a data or they don't give a data. Oh yeah, they do. The they, way, they give these the guys way. a data center chart. Okay, I I need to interject because I just want to warn the audience right now at the rate that we're going, this will this movie review will probably be two as times as, as long. As long as. Yeah, it's going to take as long as it's. It's the summer. People want to know our thoughts. Like it's ooh, great. Um. So they give also give a data center chart, which by the way. I have been a part of a lot of data center tours. I used to, you know, I used to work for like the, the, the leading data center companies. So this is pretty much par for par for the course walking around, seeing blinking lights, but they, they set this up that the Whopper thinks 24%, 24, seven about world war three. It plays an endless series of war games fed by all available information. So pre-internet, right. Um, this thing is processing whatever news feeds, whatever dial up, you know, it can go and get the associated press. It brings that all in. It normalizes it, parses it feeds, and then runs these, these simulations over and over again of, of basically mm-hmm. Russia versus us cold war missile attack strategies. What do you think about this from like you're the AI expert on the call? You have yep. taken a uh, an after school course on AI. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on just this? I mean, it's very ahead of its time, but I, I'm I'm interested to see if, <clears throat> of, of this. Yeah, what, no, what's your I, I get thoughts? all like I get all of that. Everything's cool. I'm on board. I'm loving all of it. But I think that this is also the movie's 
fatal flaw. So I don't know if I should just hold off on it's. It's very much related to exactly what you just I, said. So maybe wait it, until the end of the movie to talk about why it was unsatisfying for me. Well, I think now's that. I mean, just I mean, we're watching the movie together. We're we're experts in this stuff. The thing that jumped out to me is we're just now to. I mean, at this point, we're just now to the point where. AI is really working like this in terms of the simulation thing. Like take the consciousness stuff out of it, which mm-hmm. I think is getting confused. You know, there's AI in terms of like, oh, this thing is is acting like, a, you know, has a consciousness, thinks like a human. And there's AI like this thing learns from it mistakes. And like three years ago, it was huge news that a computer that actually learned like that so the Google Alpha Zero yep. project was a machine learning based system. And I, I know this because of chess, not because I know anything about AI. But, you know, chess engines famously uh, weren't using any type of artificial intelligence. They used a series of rules and they basically brute forced the path. I mean, I guess that there's a type of artificial intelligence there, but it's not this like neural network learning, machine learning type of stuff. It was like had a system of rules and brute force. And they had one of the best chess engine play that existed in the traditional methodology, uh, Stockfish 9 at the time, played like a billion simulated games against this neural network. And eventually the neural network was pretty consistently, you know, holding the wins towards the end, like mm. a higher percentage. Okay. So it really learned a lot. And now there's like commodity now, like when you're analyzing with we we have a versions of those neural network chess engines and we have versions of the others and they're kind of useful for, for looking at games differently, but we're just now getting there. Right. So this at the time, I don't think existed in any comparative way. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I definitely not neural networks. Yeah. I, what I'm envisioning mm-hmm. is exactly what you're talking about. Right. So basically brute forcing your way, and then recording the results and sort of like sort of piecemeal deciding. Yeah, oh, okay, simulation. Yep. The simulations thing is realistic. Yeah, yeah. The, I think yeah, that is the, very realistic. Yeah. Um, okay. Cut to see. So they end up by, I guess, subject or whatever. I, we don't really find out, but the, the push is let's replace these people with electronic relays. No, that was. Cut. Remember, they see the two, the two famous yeah. guys. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Those, yeah. They those get, guys they're they're also... being walked out kind of as they're, right, they're being screwing replaced by in the blink. computer or something. Yeah. They're being replaced by a blinky box. Great. Yep. Cut to Seattle. And you know how I know it's Seattle? Hmm. Classic Space Needle shot. So good. And uh, then cut again, arcade. Man, I have nostalgia for these old arcades. Yeah, and in particular, the game that he was playing was Galaga, which was one of the few games that we had Uh for the NES growing up. And I was like, loved that game. And the kid comes up to him. And says hi or something like that. So he's skipping school. And I know that because he's late to go take a test. Yep. Is this like a lunch period thing that is like he maybe he overhung his lunch period? Because I was like, well, that kid who's younger than him is definitely skipping school. Yeah, (laughs) that was was, you're right. Actually, I didn't really catch it. But there was a like right as that kid is coming into the arcade. There is another extra who like runs and jumps through an arcade or over a table or something. It's like, and I was like, is mm-hmm. that Matthew Broderick? This is a weird shot where it's just only behind him who grabs. Yeah, like that's a what happened in the eighties, man. Kids were jumping over everything. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I think there was like another dude who's on his way to school. So maybe this is a lunch break type of thing. Yeah, and so he's late to class, which I guess there's yep. no. He's not going to. He's not late for a test because they're getting handed back. 
they're they're t- and I love this biology professor is also another great antagonist of this movie. I was just it's it's so it's not professor, but this biology teacher is great. I mean, he is so uh yeah, just such a jerk to these kids. Oh, yeah. Also and another like, famous actor. Yeah, he's 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 in a bunch of stuff as a character yeah. actor. Um, I don't even know if he has a name in this movie, but it's just so good. Uh, and he's handing out papers and he's giving this lecture about some, you know, some biology things and calling on random students and making fun of them for not knowing and like public. So he, oh, the public shaming is amazing. Yeah. So, and this reminds me of like the stuff that you were saying about like your school of like, uh, <laughs> how weird some of the teachers are at, uh, at Paul six. I mean, this, is this, something, is this a guy who could teach at Paul six? Oh, this guy would fit right in at Paul six for sure. Uh, so he's like, uh, Matthew Roderick comes in. He's like, David, super late. Oh, and by the way, here's your F in front of everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like proudly displaying in front of all the other students, like the F that he's giving to the student. Uh, and then we see Jennifer. Ali Sheedy. Yep. What kind of confessions do you want to make now? <laughs> uh, no confessions uh, on here, but uh, she, you know, d- great, great. Uh, girl know. next door. Yep. 80s girl next door. Having fun in class, smiling on her face, even when she receives an F. <laughs> yeah. like, and also like what a this great... guy's mo is to show it off too because he didn't he I, was not shy about showing off her f either exactly yeah he asked her some question which she doesn't know the answer to and he's like well you didn't know on the test either slams another f on the yeah. table and then this is one of my favorite parts in this movie is like he asks another question he, he starts talking about uh asexual oh. reproduction mm-hmm. and he then he hears some giggle and he interrupts and he's like david why don't you tell us who who first proposed the the idea of asexual reproduction and david's answer is your wife <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was so i mean what an idiot teacher not knowing that he's like just oh, so good. stepping right into it and man. here's now here's the other thing so David gets kicked out of class and sent to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. And immediately we get into hacker number one. Yep. Here it is. Here's the first sign that David's a hacker. He swipes the password from the drawer. There's like, so I, I remember these things and in fact kind of have like a cutting board that slides out like that, but it's a drawer to write stuff on. So mm-hmm. if you're like writing notes, sitting at a desk or something, so they slide this thing out and it's got a list of passwords written down on it. And the password for this week is pencil. Yep. You can see all the other weeks crossed out. Now, knowing that the first thing he does when he gets to the principal's office is look at this list. Do you think he got kicked out of class on purpose? He did. They 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 talked about how they were conspiring. I thought at um, when he jumps on the back of Ali Sheedy's like moped. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like as overt to say, okay, he planned to get kicked out of class in order to, but he definitely had this this overarching plan of he was going to get the password and change his grade, so that's why he didn't care. Yeah, but now, she, why, but when they met up on the moped, I thought that she said, "How did I do?" And he was like, "Oh, you were great." No, she doesn't. She yeah. does not know that they're going to change grades yet. I'm not saying like she may not know that. Uh, Interesting. That was the I didn't. Plan. Yeah, I didn't quite quite grab that, but she says, well, she says, hey, we'll be in summer. I mean, she's uh, she's actually kind of like, she's flirting with him. Hey, looking forward to seeing you in summer school. David says, nope. 
Um, now, so they, so she gives him a ride back to the house. Cause he's like, let me show you something. So they drive to his house, they go upstairs and here's the other thing. They open his room and it's almost immaculate, but he still's like, Oh, I'm sorry. My room's a mess. Like, did they not have like real mess in the eighties that like some clothes on the bed is like a mess <laughs> because <laughs> well, his room is like yeah, pretty yeah, well put right? together. Well, he had his drawers hanging out, man. They were all like, I was on his bed and on his chair and stuff. Yeah. So. But like in terms of his, his computer stuff is immaculate. And then he has one of those like little parts bins. So like, I mean, if he was a messy guy, he would not have like one of those like 40 drawer little parts bins for all those like capacitors and stuff. I mean, but he's a quite a, quite a computer setup. He's got a floppy. He's got this, uh, he's got a modem on there with an acoustic coupler, just like, and this is, uh, you told me on a previous episode that your, your first computer was, uh, trash 80, um, like a, a Tandy 80 or something like that. This is a very similar, this is an M I M S A. 8080 so it's it's kind of that generation of of uh, that kind of chipset mine like the one that i got was something related to more of a 1988 tandy it was a laptop mm -hmm. okay so it might have been an 8086 or something but so quite a setup and so he's like let me show you this he dials into the school's computer hack number 1.5 so he's he got the password and he dials in it's a single user system i mean like realism of the computer it's hard to say because i wasn't actually using you know computers at that time but you know enter user single user system enter user and it pretty much immediately brings up this what looks like a word processor probably shot with a word processor oh yeah that's what i was thinking because <laughs> um, he like yes. spaces over yes, like exactly yes so you must you like you'd have to hit tap if it was like an actual like spreadsheet ui or something like that you probably tab over to that right like spacing over is one would think up. but i was also thinking that too i'm just like what he's just like hitting arrow keys and it's just going over blank space in between you know yeah no, like so actual fields I mean, it felt like it could you're doing some work but and maybe i don't know maybe I so don't this know. is a so seattle definitely has is goes back is like rooted there's a lot of tech industry stuff in seattle What's your thoughts on whether or not compute compute or what are the, whether or not schools had these grade computers ever? I mean, my my at the time, my schools were still were just paper grades basically. Same, mine too. Uh, you know, I remember the grade books just being like this gigantic, huge, yeah, huge almost like books. graph paper kind of thing on the inside where the the teachers would have so it, and all of my of report it, cards were right completed yep. in in pen. So and 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 if it was a computer. I guess it's like so that the principal can dial in and check people's grades from home. I mean, like what kind of like work from, you know, it's like, what exactly is the point of that thing? But here's, and I do tell the story in more detail on some throwback episode, but the thing that I can relate to this, we did have a homework hotline system, which is like a PBX oh, yeah. based yep. branch exchange. And I do remember hacking that. So I would call into that use the default. Everybody had like their little pin codes. You'd press like asterisk to get to the teacher interface and I would delete the homework for the day. And then the next day I'd be like, I don't know what the homework is because the, the homework hotline was empty and try to get out of my, she was like, you were in... <laughs> basically it'd be like, but you were in class yesterday and I told you what it was and I'd still get this <laughs> Um So, but David dials in the school computer, gets his grade sheet and he messes with, he changes his grade. Then he looks her up and He's like, I'm going to change your grade. What do you want to get? And she gets a little sketchy. Yep. 
Also, he does, I mean, we learn a little bit about her academic prowess because she got a D in home economics. She got a D in home economics, but like uh, her other ones, she had an A and a B in some other classes when it flipped over. So I thought it was like, you know, she really needs to apply herself as all. That was what I was Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the theme for both. I mean, these are both, I mean, she she has a lot of, she kind of brings the compassion and like a calming influence throughout the movie. So her, I mean, she's like a great, um, but- Okay, so we know that biology and home economics are not her strengths. So he changes her grade. She gets nervous. He backs it up, and she, like, books it out of there. Um, And then she closes the door. She's leaving. What's he do? He switches it to an A. He switches it back. Um, What's the game plan there? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's against... That's against her. He's overriding her wish. That's true. That's true. But I think, you know, he thinks it's in her best interest, so not really... Uh, you know, not being, okay. not following the platinum rule. Are you familiar with the so, platinum rule now? No. Why don't you, <laughs> why don't you share a little bit about the platinum rule? With Treat others as they want to be treated. I know. You do that's know? That's tough. Oh, okay. No, I, I mean, I didn't know that, but okay. that's, that's just what I do as a, as a human being. <laughs> so this is actually where they cut to the guys getting replaced with the relay box. So a little bit, it wasn't like right after the, the NORAD scene. By the um, way, I do want to s- jump in here before we switch. Yeah. Uh, are we jumping? We're jumping scenes now because I think the net. <clears throat> I may be out of order, not out of order, but did when this they went up to the damn room? Courts out of order. Dennis. <laughs> when they run up to their room, do they pass the dad eating dinner? Like, th- was that no? This is or next. Is that okay. okay, okay, okay. I have a. This is my nomination as a special nomination for Dave's uh, David's house hacks. Is the dad with the butter trick, the bread. <laughs> I, I use this to this day. I was, if, if do, I'm, I've never seen this before. I wrote down. Oh, who if, does if this? I'm somewhere, if I'm somewhere and like there's corn as an option, like corn on the cob is so good. And there's like a piece of bread. I'm absolutely doing this. And everybody in that place would be like, you're a genius. So <laughs> I think it's, I think their like intention is that David's mom and dad are super quirky. Yes. But I, I read this a different way. I read this as like, David's dad is probably this like Seattle, you know, mechanical engineer, right? And he's thinking out of the box on like, and he's looking at this, like, how do I efficiently butter this thing? And he's just solving the problem. So I think it's like the DNA that all this problem solving DNA that we'll, we'll touch on in, a, in some of these hacks. I think that come, you know, dad's got some setting a good influence there. Yeah, I can see that. <clears throat> I, I, I can see that. But then, um, but this and then we get pleasant. a little bit. Oh, <laughs> well. What's surprising is they also set up this like new age thing with with uh, David's mom, in which the corn is raw, which it didn't look like raw corn to me. But <laughs> oh yeah, the, dad bites in, and he's like, and then he has some some uh, cute. He's like, uh, well, why don't we take pills for vitamin D and and cook the corn? <laughs> I think is his retort. It is, to, yes. to um, hack number two coming up. So David is, oh, so they're at the dinner table. This corn thing happens. The plot point in this dinner table scene is David's reading some type of computer magazine and he see, or some type of other magazine, and he sees a advertisement for a game company called Protovision. So like a Silicon Valley game company called Protovision working on the, and it's, you know, one of these super cool, it kind of looks like one of these next ads or early Apple ads, but you know, it's all like black sleek computers mm-hmm. and um and then he goes upstairs and he calls information which is like i'm actually thinking i mean 
do people in their 20s know what 411 is? <laughs> no way. There's no way that they know what that is. I mean, that's something you don't think about, right? But basically, we had phone books. And then if you didn't have a phone book, you could call at some moderate charge 411. Or if you were trying to call us like a phone number in a different area, you, you, would, you could have them look up numbers in other areas. And so he calls and he gets the phone number for ProtoVision. But what else does he ask for? He asks for, <clears throat> I forget the actual term, but like the different prefixes that are... That's exactly what the term is. Oh, that's okay. Mm -hmm. So he gets all of the prefixes for Sunnyvale, California. Why? What's he, what's he set up? He, he's preparing to war dial to, to find, to see if there's any ProtoVision computers. Listening. Now, chicken and the egg. I mean, it's called war dialing because it was in this movie. Yeah, and you know what? When he was explaining to Ali Sheedy what was what he was doing I, later on, what, yeah, I was mm -hmm. expecting him to use the term war dialing. Instead, I think he just said that he was just calling every number or something like that, right? He, yeah, like he just, I mean, he doesn't really have it, a cool name for it. Yeah, and it's it's hard to figure out who like the hackers involved with this movie are. I think that you know, like the the makers of this movie became friends with a lot of people that were in this like you know garage. Silicon Valley scene, you know, um, with, a lot, but even in like the thank you notes, it's, they thank a lot of companies and don't name a lot of people. And I wonder if that was like mm. hackers being a little sensitive to like being named mm. okay. as a thing. So I think it's pretty safe to say that this technique existed before this movie was made. Otherwise we probably wouldn't have seen it in the movie, but this makes this and a lot of other things kind of mainstream. Um, the realism of how many I mean, I guess it doesn't, he doesn't say how many phone calls he's actually achieved, but you know, um, well, we okay, do so, see on the UI, the computer UI, um, at one point, does it say how many, it doesn't say how many, but it shows like, like when he starts that montage, when that montage starts, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know, three, seven, six, okay, so, zero, 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 one. And it shows it right. going one, two, three. Oh, and then so when he, he comes back count. later, you see that it's just been going incrementally through a whole gigantic list of numbers when he like when he warns her not to touch anything. Right. Yep. So you so so anyway, so quick flash forward. So he sets up the war dialing, kicks it off, batch jobs running. We cut back to the arcade. Jen's back and she wants David to change his grade. And David kind of plays coy. Mm -hmm. He flubs his Galica game, I think on purpose or whatever. Uh, and then he's like, You owe me a quarter. They go back to his bedroom. The computer's still dialing through the numbers. And she and then he explains it to her that the computer is calling every number in Sunnyvale, California to try to get to these games. And I think he, at this point he breaks the news that he already fixed her grade. Yep. So she's like she's like super happy, flirty, not mad at that at all. She asks about the long distance bill. Now, my recollection so uh, long distance used to be a fee that you pay when you call a prefix outside of your own or an area outside of your own prefix. I believe that long distance billing was based on call time. So I think you could do this for free it, for, I mean, it would be, you know, under mob bell. I don't think that you would get charged except for when people answer the phone, then you would get charged. Like if, so if somebody picked up the phone and listens to it for 30 seconds or whatever, so that would be the risk. But in terms of phones not answering or, you know, depending on how fast it takes. Wait, the was there to a 30 second for like, <clears throat> is there a 30 second thing? I, not necessarily 30 seconds. It takes 30 seconds. Uh, well, I mean, just 
technically, like even today, and we can talk about, you know, evolutions of these things, but at the time, the modem is actually trying to handshake. So the modem to, in order for a modem to call up another modem and determine that it's talking to another modem and try to negotiate with it and fail, that usually used to take like 30 seconds. And that's the thing that like um, HD Moore of Metasploit much later on, like in 2010, 2009, 2010, he came up with the idea to record the audio and then just statistically analyze it so that you could use like a, you know, a voice over IP trunk, make a bunch of calls. And now, so now you can do it in about with 15 seconds of audio. So, and plus you you have this big parallelization because you can use virtual audio. So Mm -hmm. word dialing is a lot more efficient now if you use that method. But he doesn't but, really explain why long dis- a distance doesn't apply to him, right? He's just I like, think oh, that, I can solve that too. So I thought it was just sort of an illusion. I that think he, he's using, yeah, there was, he you know, dials like, into the phone. Company. used to have those like blue boxes and stuff like that, right? You know, like those, mm-hmm. there used to be this, this thing also in like the, fo- so phone freaking too, which I like how they don't get into it, but it is realistic stuff. In phone freaking, they had all these different methods, and we see another one in terms of the payphone thing. Yeah, but I, what I, I need you to explain to me, by the way, when we get. To yeah, the I will. Part. Well, I'll I'll do my best because okay. I researched it. But there was one of those box designs that and I never built one, but I like would you know I was reading about this on like the big you know the big book of mischief or these other eighties, you know, freaker hacker stuff. It, you know, in like the early nineties or late nineties, so it didn't even probably work by the time I was reading about it. But one thing that you could do, one of these boxes did, is when a phone rings, in order to actually ring the bell, the voltage is like 36 volts on these old phone. I mean, I guess on a landline POTS mm-hmm. line. So when it's so 36 volts, if one of these boxes um, convinced your phone, so you would like make a call and it would keep the voltage high and the phone company wouldn't detect that you were actually conversing with somebody. Mm-hmm. So if it, so once somebody else rings, you know, once the opposite side rang. So I think that that was for receiving long distance calls and, and making it free for the, for the caller. But there was some, you know, I, I think they're, they're hinting at some phone freaking stuff or they're implying that he actually has access to, you know, the, the telephone company's computer system or something like that. Yeah. That's what I, <clears throat> that's where I, I, my mind went to when he made that little comment. Or maybe, or maybe he just grabbed 200 feet of cat three and stole in stealing his neighbors, you know, like there's, <laughs> I think there's some plausible stuff that David could be doing. Yeah. Um, and that, so, but we basically, we cut to the results. So David starts rolling through things that picked up. The first one is a bank. I think it's realistic for a bank to have this kind of interface. Um, I don't think that he, he basically just says, oh, I'll check out that one later. He doesn't actually hack into the bank or do anything with the bank. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, I thought that was foreshadowing when he said it. I thought he was going to have, because I forgot some of the later plot points in the movie. I thought he was going to need to transfer a whole bunch of money to himself, but Uh no such luck. Later, second call does come up later on, but he calls Pan Am. Mm -hmm. It's a big throwback to Pan Am, but (laughs) he he gets into Pan Am reservation system. This also makes a ton of sense for this to be a company that has a a modem line, right? Because travel agents don't want to talk to people when they're booking, you know, right? Like I totally get, and they want real-time data on what flights are available. So this makes total sense to me that there'd be a modem bank in Sunnyvale for Pan Am. Yep. 
Um, and they make a reservation for Paris. Did you see it costs 1200 bucks to fly to Paris, which I thought, I think is like, you know, it's pretty good price now. I think it'd be an expensive price then too, but, um, <laughs> what didn't seem that bad to me. Um, and then he calls into a system and mm-hmm. it doesn't identify itself. Nope. It and what's he do? He tries, I think it was what user zero zero one, something like that. He tries uh-huh. just to log in, right? Just yep. brute force. He the, just starts yeah. fussing with it. Yep. So zero zero one connection terminated. Calls back and he asks for help. Oh help yeah, that's available. right. Yeah, help log on. That's what he help help slash help not available. And then he types help games because he thinks he's dialing in the protovision, and it answers with a definition of a game. What kind of vulnerability would we classify this as? It answers with a definition of a game. Um, yeah, it's like a game is a thing where two, two entities or more play strategy. I don't. I forget what the definition. I mean, is. Uh, maybe it's potentially like. like uh, uh, well, no, I don't want to say injection because it wasn't like kind of spitting this back. Um, just it's f- just like a information leak, right? It's it's. Uh, well, I don't you know. know information disclosure. Information disclosure? Okay. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, because it knows, like, he's then determining, okay, this system has some context with games. And then he does list games, mm-hmm. and list games works. It's And this I would classify as, like, an insecure direct object reference. Like, why is this thing telling, you know, you haven't authenticated to it, you know, but why is it, and it dumps out well, checkers, yeah. tic-tac-toe. Well, this whole thing is crazy, right? I mean, it's like, there's no username and password. There's just a single, <laughs> like, there's no password. You just know the It user. is a, pa- no, it's like a password prompt. Oh, okay. The username yeah, this- is just the password. Yeah, but I, I actually could probably make a little bit of sense of what's, what's going on, you know, with the system. Like, if they didn't intend for this to be a publicly available system, you could almost see how this is like, okay, it was supposed to be a physical RS-232 interface or something like that. So somebody could like come in and like manipulate things. And like when we had like early days of like out-of-band managements or routers, I mean, even still today or whatever, sometimes you could, sometimes you forgot to set up passwords on those serial ports, right? And then now all of a sudden there's a modem on it. So if you think about this a little bit more abstractly, you could be like, well, maybe this is a debug interface on the system that was accidentally connected, which I it's kind of, We'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. But it lists out a bunch of them. And then David's like, he sees global thermonuclear war. And from there, he's like, I got to, what is this? I got to go check this out. And he goes to his local programmer shop, some local company, and asks these guys for help. And he basically asks Dennis and Kev for help. (laughs) That is true. Yes. Oh, my God. You've got your, your pocket protector on and your glasses pushed up to your face mm-hmm. and you've got a super annoying voice and then this like cool guy <laughs> with a beard and maybe a few extra pounds keeps telling me that i'm annoying yep he's like the super hacker guy oh, so yeah. you and me uh and by the way malvin is the, the guy that you're saying that i resemble in there definitely I'm, yeah and you know de- i think definitely i i actually thought this was pretty interesting i thought like you know he's he seems like he's you know, maybe has Asperger's or something, I feel like. Yeah. And also it's like, it definitely chicken and an egg. Cause like you see, you see this dynamic, right? Like they must've known. I mean, it's, I think, 
I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that came before this guy that served as pro- there's a few guys that were the prototype for this character, the inspiration for this character. But I think this guy was probably the inspiration for a bunch of other real life people, maybe even somewhat including myself. <laughs> of, of like, just have the answers. You can wear whatever you want. Like, <laughs> if it, you know, if he was wearing flip flops, then I would have been like, oh, that's that was what happened to me. Oh my god. Um. But I love this. This is where the heart of the movie comes is they're talking about he's asking for help. He's like, how would you guys break into this system? And you're like, hey, don't even do it. They've got so many. I don't think they say firewalls because firewalls probably don't exist, but they've got so much protection out the wazoo. This is definitely military grade encryption. And David says, I don't believe that any system is truly secure. Oh, this Prof- is like my anthem. <laughs> Prophetic. Yeah. And he, he, he instructs David to go down the, or yeah, to search for the back door. Right. And they, yeah. And they, and they define, and, and maybe even like, this is like where we get a lot of the public definition of the back door, but he's like, oh, and the other guy says what? Well, the other guy like, don't tell him our, I, I say in this scene, you know, don't tell them all of our tricks. You know, like all of our secrets. Uh-huh. Yep. And you're the threat intelligence guy. You're like, oh, let's just keep everything secret. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and the other, and the other guys security. So one guy advocates like security through obscurity. And the other guy's like, they're not tricks. He explains what a backdoor is. And then the next little clue to this uh, cat and mouse game for David trying to get in is the other guy. You actually come up with a little bit of wisdom here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, Cause David presents them with a printout of the list of the, um, games. And the very first one is Faulkner's maze. And Faulkner is the guy. Falcon. <laughs> Falcon. Oh, Stephen Falcon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Falcon Falcon. Sorry. Yeah. Falcon yeah. Falcon's maze. And, uh, you know, he's like, yep. Got to go through the maze. The, the secrets somehow uh-huh. related to Falcon's maze. And then we get, an awesome eighties oh, montage, eighties montage, montage, montage of David doing open source intelligence eighties style. Oh, I he's love going it. to the library, using the microfiche, uh, and looking up this guy's bibliography, and figures out that he's a PhD, strategy games, computer science, AI guy. Yep, but. Beep, 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 dot matrix. He's, he died in He's 1972. Dead. He's dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, sad. Yeah. And he was also flipping through the card catalog. I just, it just dawned on me like, or what that name of that thing was, but I loved that too. Oh, that yeah. all those long freaking I have two in my drawers. house. Yeah. So great. You've never, yeah. I love, we have two card catalogs in my house. Uh, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful card catalog. So back at David's house, Ali Sheedy shows up and she's jogging and the quirky dad answers his door. Cute dog's there. Dad asks about a crossword clue. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> about yeah, the yeah. He was like, have you ever heard of the word tumulus? And I was like, was he thinking cumulus? Is is, it, is the actual answer cumulus? I don't know. Uh, no, tumulus is a word too. Okay. Um, but David's buried it is like literally he's on his, he's on his bed yep. and he's covered in notebooks. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And like computer prints out and stuff. Computer printout paper. It's that, that, you know, the, 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 
what is that called? It's for, uh, feed force uh, tractor feed paper. Oh my gosh! Called? Yeah, the ones that had the uh, uh-huh. the dots. The gear that, yeah, that like push the yeah paper, yeah yeah which, the holes on the side. Yeah, so good, so good. And um, perforated side, so you could like rip it off. Right. Yep. And he's just covered in that stuff. And now his room is like a little bit more messy, but uh, Allie asks him what's up and he explains, I mean, he's basically obsessed now. So he plays the videotape about Falcon and explains how he made games and explains this idea that what makes his game special is that they learn from their own mistakes, basically. Yep. And then he's got, yes, that he has got these AI games. They reminisce. Well, the one thing that jumped out to me is that they're like, he's dead. And they're like, oh, he's dead. And how old was he? And he's like, oh, he was 41. And they're like, oh, that's just so old. And they're like, yep, old. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. As, uh, as we're about to turn 40. Yeah, definitely. But, and she says, uh, and, and she kind of brings this next piece to the public to next piece of the puzzle because she's like the human and compassionate mm-hmm. and she's like she learns that the kid and wife before he he died the kid and wife uh passed away in a car accident and here we see that you know she's the one that provokes and she's like well what's his name joshua you know that's funny because I was like, oh, I thought I remembered the name too. I was like, I was I, I, before she said it. I was like, I think it's jo- Joseph. And I was like, oh, <laughs> just so close. I would never have been logged into the system though. But so he dials back in, puts in Joshua. Boom, boom. Also, they have this like speech synthesizer, oh. which I think is. And later on, here's my uh, my uh, fun memory of the, you know they basic this thing you know I don't didn't really exist. Um, it makes sense. I mean, vocoding as a principle exists. Speech synthesis existed at the time. The thing that I love about this is like later on there was like a Unix utility that was basically designed to do this, where you converted text to this like very specifically identical <laughs> to war games voice. And it, when we would like break into each other's computers that had speakers attached, we would use this <laughs> to, to say stuff <laughs> to people. So it'd come out as like war games voice. <laughs> but uh, so the computer, so it really brings a cinematic, like a really great cin- cinematic because now the computer's talking, right? Oh yeah. And it, it kind of feels and it's got like plain speech processing again so that's what's so funny yeah like number one that voice is so iconic now that i'm saying this i want to like see if i can get my alexa to change her voice to be just like that um but uh that yes that natural language like it's like he logs in and it's like hello where have you been you know like and it's like asking him these questions and and he's just typing back hello you know anything any in, any sentence that's well formed this computer understands which exists now right so yep. i don't think people would realize it but this i mean it definitely was science fiction at that's the time that's science fiction I mean, at the time because it's so funny cuz my brother pat got one of those computers after watching war games that you know it was like the kind that you would uh, hook up to your television or something right so yeah commodore 64 yes and you know, you, you, the games, like you had to type in all of the code, right? So you would, it would come with a booklet or something. Oh, that you it, I mean, yeah. On a Commodore 64, by the way, one of the primary storage mediums was audio cassette. So not only were you typing in like load this file, but you would type in a load command and you would give it the baud rate. And so you'd like do like load 16, you know, you'd basically say load from tape deck at 1200 baud using eight bit signaling with no parity and one byte per you know one byte per signal 
like you would have to do all of that just to load, you yeah. know, it's like a very complicated, like I, it was just written down on every Commodore 64 in Sharpie was the command to load stuff off tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and so Pat gets it, he hooks it up and he's like, Pat, my brother. And he's like, you will obey only Pat syntax error, <laughs> you know, yeah, not let Chris also, yeah. ever use you syntax error. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I command this, found. this thing's broken. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a, but now, I mean, yeah, you, you go to a web page and that stupid little box pops up and it's, it takes you about 10 times before you say, you know, operator to get to, you know, or whatever to, to get to a human, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so good. Uh, so now he's conversing with the computer, right? He's logged in. Uh huh. So little, they get the computer and him get into a little argument about what games to play because <laughs> the computer really wants to play chess. Again, he's like little conscious of this stuff. And David wants to play global thermonuclear war. Yes. Global. Pregnant pause. Global thermonuclear. Yeah. And by the way, like the computer uh, is kind of sassy at one point. He's like asking oh, the computer so some questions and he, the computer responds, you should know you programmed me. So they tell the computer, they basically start playing and they tell the, the computer to blow up Vegas and Seattle or to launch missiles as Russia. They play as Russia. So it's like, who do you want to be U.S. or Russia? I want to be Russia. <laughs> Cut to NORAD freaking out, thinking it's World War Three going on. Yes. Yeah. People running all over the place. And this was also, right? It wasn't this in the middle of yet another NORAD group tour. I, everybody is touring NORAD. I, I, and I love that there's a little sassy thing we'll get to later on. It's coming up in just a bit in which like, it's kind of just like fear and, but Dabney Coleman doesn't like the tours either. <laughs> so, um, but so they cut to know everybody's freaking out. Then they cut back to David's room and dad's yelling at him. And this, I, uh, I, I definitely sympathize, uh, with dad's yelling at David because he didn't secure the trash cans and the dog that apparently is not well behaved enough to not get into the trash, but is well behaved enough to stay in the yard oh, yeah. <laughs> has, yep. has rifled through the trash. Um, somebody give that dog a, a little doggy door. I let him come inside. Yeah. But by the way, so this was yeah another thing that I found strange about the like the movie. It was like kind of taking me out of it a little bit was he's playing the game. It the game is a simulation, right, with the computer. Global thermal thermal nuclear war, right? Uh-huh. But as they play this game, the game is overriding the actual sen sensors and displays and outputs in NORAD. That 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 I, just that doesn't make sense. That that pulled me out of the I movie. think it Okay, let me do a little work for the movie. Okay. It's so this subsystem later on, they say that the subsystem that's here was a UI that was never used. It was the computer programmers didn't even know about this subsystem, right. the Joshua subsystem. So, I can definitely see a piece of software that has variables in it that all of the sudden this new user interface is tainting those variables. And then the memory from the live screen and telemetry is getting screwed up. Okay. So that's the work I'm going to do for it. And so let's get, so they're playing this thing. They're about to let the, so World War III is going on. They're about to let birds fly. And Dabney Coleman, uh, McKittrick runs in and does, is it him or somebody else? No, Dabney doesn't no, run it's, in. It's, it's your hero runs yes, in. Yes, it's you, me. It's yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, the hero, the the true the hero of the movie runs in. The second character that you are in this movie. 
uh, I'm. I think I'm only this guy. Who was the other guy? Yeah, the other guy was like. Uh, oh the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The hacker. Well, there's guy. two. You know, there's there's two sides to me, right? Like, there's a business Kev. This guy is business Kev. I love. And then the other guy is casual so Kev. Much. Yes. It's like the difference between me consulting and me with like an enterprise job. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, I've got this job uh, where I'm just an employee. Hello, flip flops. Oh, so cut, cut back to David's room. Oh, he's yelling at it. Um, so they, tr- and then um, there comes in running the pull the plug and hit this guy and the other assistant, who is also another hero, the, the female assistant to, or female uh, lieutenant to, uh, she's not military lieutenant, but the female, you know, director that reports to McKittrick, they've tracked down the phone call to Seattle. And then uh, we cut back to David's house and David's showing his parents his great, report card yep. and it's, it's they this is like the first time they've ever shown any affection for him it's like oh my god you got good grades thanks for turning around <laughs> but the tv's on and in the background of the tv is coverage over the incident he caused which i i mean i who knows if it would get out but they're basically reporting that it was some you know uh realize it was con- and da- uh, david starts to think okay maybe this was me Jennifer calls him on the phone, freaks out. David's saying how they're screwed. She says it's probably, I love, like, again, she's like the calming influence. Probably fine, right? She's like excited about like how cool it is that this happened and nothing, you know, nothing about it. And she's like, can I, you think I could tell my girlfriend? And he's like, <laughs> heck, way, way no. Um, so then David goes upstairs and does a little hacker cleanup, trashes all the printout. He gets it, a, he gets a call, uh, phone rings, he gets a call. Beep, 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 beep. It's basically throwback noise. And it's Joshua. And so he puts it on the coupler. Um, Professor Falcon, why'd you hang up on me? Basically, it's the game saying, hey, what you disconnected. I want to tell you that it wasn't successful, but I'm still working it. David hangs up. It calls back. David unplugs the phone. And it's like, it basically starts to get an ulcer. And even though he's disconnected the phone, we see 52 hours ETA on the clock. <laughs> yes, that was He's cradling the unconnected phone as he's worrying on the bed. And yeah, it's still, the countdown is still going on somehow. Can I do a little work for the movie? Please. I think that you could make an, an ANSI, A-N-S-I. I think that you could make an ANSI counter that may even after disconnected would be like refreshing as a character set, basically, you know, Unicode from the eighties that might be doing that. It's again, you know, I'm doing work for the movie, no, but you know, like if you disconnected, no, no, I get if it. You dis- right? Like, it's yeah. like you're kind of, you got a local version that can keep it going and then it might do like maybe yeah. asynchronous yeah, resident callback. memory. Yeah. yeah. Um, asynchronous mm-hmm. callback to try to see, okay, do I, am I still in sync with the network time? Something like yeah. That. Okay. Um, cut to seven 11, bunch of guys, so David's getting a. It's okay. He's drinking out of like a popcorn bucket. No, no, no. First <laughs> off, I, he's drinking a big gulp, which, by the way, looks so tiny compared to today's. It's wider. It's very it's, wide. I the but... big gulp technology has gotten taller and thinner because he's. What it looks to me is like he's drinking <laughs> soda out of like an ice cream quart. That's what it looks like to me. Like it's so wide. Yeah. No top on it. I don't know why he's not a guy who believes in top for drink covers yep um but here we see more guys like you 
Everybody's in a suit. Everybody's wearing sunglasses. Everybody has mustaches. <laughs> Dennis Sheridan's <laughs> FBI agents are closed. Lots of antennas. I guess, you, you know, the antennas or something. Like, oh, it looks like my, my car has an antennas like that. But everybody's got antennas. A uh, bunch of guys with earpieces. Yeah, I mean, so it's such obvious. Why are they wearing plain clothes, but then they're wearing like, I mean, it's just the earpiece technology of the day. It's just like, Which, by the way, just all like, reminded me exactly of like the old wired iPod, uh, ear, like earpieces. That that's exactly what those earpieces reminded me of. I remember these specific earpieces were like you know the mono ear. Like I we had my dad had one for like playing back dictation machines, which is also another shout out to dictation machines soon. But <laughs> so back at NORAD, they're giving another tour. I love this thing. The guy giving the tour places this nice lady in the chair oh. and makes her press a button. A big red button. That like sets off an alarm and then it says, welcome guest from Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, but also you're for, you're forgetting that the guy who told her to hit the button freaks out and says that she hit the right button. I know, button yeah, it's just like such a good joke. Uh-oh. I mean, it's like, it just tells you like this guy, these people have just such a broken sense of humor <laughs> of like, he's just terrifying <laughs> this lady. Um, These people love their job. Okay. Okay. Now here's the what I consider the climax of the movie. We're in the boardroom, and business Kev is doing the root cause analysis. Actually, before <laughs> we even get to the boardroom, in between uh-huh. the red button joke and the boardroom, McKittrick. Do you remember this part? McKittrick is like getting prepped um, by uh, a female team member. And yeah, at, his like lieutenant, yep. yeah, and who is the second hero to the movie. Yes, and as he's about to walk into the boardroom, he he's trying to get all you know. He's getting the latest info from her, getting briefed. He's getting prepared. He's chewing gum. Oh, yeah. He takes it out of oh, his right. mouth and hands it to her. But you know what? This is indicating. I know that this is. In, I, I have a, something. This, something extracurricular is happening. Here, yes, I feel like she yep. pops his old, used this chewing gum. This is the gum most subtle into, affair. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, just like mm-hmm. the, you know, you can tell that there's there's a lot of depth to the characters here in this. Movie. I don't. I, there are some things about the '80s that just today's sensibility you find a little disgusting, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> not not the sharing of the gum, but the fact that she this clear subordinate. To, you know, this like, you know, young, attractive, intelligent subordinate to this somewhat bullish, idiot, grumpy old man is in a relationship with they are strongly implicated that they're that they have a uh, unnecessary comfort level. So they go in and here's the root cause analysis. The kid broke into the war game subsystem using a password left behind the original programmer. None of my team even knew it was there. And then Dabney Coleman chimes in, you know, and they're, so they're talking that the general, the, the systems analyst, that's the hero of the movie, Business Kev, says, we can find the password and take it out, but it might help to beef up security around the Whopper. What does this sentence mean? Uh, Why is McKittrick saying that? Beef up security around? So... I mean, the kid didn't break into the office. McKittrick hates the tours. This is like, <laughs> McKittrick is using this like unrelated incident. Uh, no, I don't think that's what she shut mean. down the tour. No, tour. I don't think so because. Oh, I do. Well, because the guy, the one, the general who responds, right? Uh-huh. Like the guy who's constantly chewing Big Chief. I think that's a or, <laughs> red, red men chew. I think yeah, something like that. Yeah, who's constantly chewing tobacco. 
I think he makes a firewall comment or something here where he's saying that like the the external security it's already that's already in place I thought I I think the general is saying you guys spend all this money and you can't, and this kid broke in like what the heck are you doing and Dabney is responding like we can solve the problem but oh by I mean these guys are constantly just jabbing at each other like right? it's a, it which is a super real dynamic yep. between I think a civilian contractor who's the technical expert and a military general with all this authority who you know they're clashing heads around this the military guy trusts his soldiers and people and the technical guy trusts computers and I do think that there's a little, just a fun, I think that this is, for, for me watching it in the fourth decade I've watched it, one of the new things I get is, well, nobody broke into that building, and all of a sudden, I think that, you know, beef up security around the Whopper, I think he's talking about the physical security. I think he's talking about those tours. I think it's his anti-tourist agenda <laughs> coming through. The general pushed back, giving him a hard time, and says, and then Dabney says, this, this I, I love again, is like, this is a confidence. The McKittrix, Dabney Coleman slash McKittrix confidence says, there's no way a kid did this. He's got to be working with something else. This happens so much. I mean, we recorded almost a whole episode of this, like, right. Like my computer is so secure that it couldn't have been just a kid who did it on accident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, what do you think about this? Uh, well, I think that we need to acknowledge that also in the boardroom, the principal from Back to the Future, who is a perfect bad oh, yeah. guy, and who uh -huh. who sinks his teeth into McKittrick's, um, uh, you know, theory of he's not a he lone fits the wolf. Profile. He fits the profile. Yeah. He must be working mm. with the Russians. He's a loner. You know, he's a perfect. Yeah, he's a perfect rube for the for the Russians to turn. Um, yeah, he does. He does kind of feel that fire. But to me, it's just like very classic of I mean, like the real versus the imagined is Dabney's ego, right? Which I just I we, this is such a real thing. The ego is that there's no way a kid did it on accident. Not even giving credit to the kid. I mean, the kid didn't do anything. I mean, like really Matthew Rogers character didn't do anything super sophisticated here, right? He does some other stuff that I think shows a general cleverness. But he he accidentally called into it, did a little bit of research, you know, whatever, and then just kind of stumbled into this thing. And Dabney says it's impossible. But in the meantime, they accidentally left this modem on. Exactly. Had yeah. this, like debug port running. Yeah. It's, an, <laughs> you know, it it's like, like take a, responsibility for <laughs> it. Yes. This is a, what is it? Occam razors kind of moment, right? What's more yeah. likely? You, yeah. You, you guys, <laughs> the guy who wrote this system, you killed him on paper. He's not allowed back at NORAD or whatever. Right. right. And so, nobody knows how half of this thing is written, you know? So is it more likely mm -hmm. that something's left on that we didn't know about? Or is it more likely that the Russians converted a, you know, 13 year old <laughs> into some sort of super hacker and he broke into NORAD. Yeah. Yeah. And and at some point, Business Kev also chimes in and says, oh yeah, earlier on, Business Kev is like, oh, um, the phone company left that on. <laughs> like definitely like, <laughs> um, which I don't, you could almost, it, it, it's like definitely feasible, like stuff gets left on and like what, you know, I could, I could imagine like they were relying on the phone company for maybe some closed circuit, you know, infrastructure between facilities and that was supposed to be on like a private branch and then accidentally got flipped over to be a public yeah like some of that stuff makes sense but i do love the idea of like the phone you know the phone 
company screwed it up. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. Yeah, but, and, you know what? Business Kev would have done that too. Business Kev was great. <laughs> By the way, did you even give Business Kev credit for like running in earlier when they thought like the, the world was ending? Which, by the way, he, I he, also would be huffing and puffing oh, in the same way God. that Business Kev. Okay. I, love I know it. that we're past that, so but much. I think that we skipped over a, a crucial No, business I think we did Kev say that it is Business Kev that comes in there. Okay. So the hero of the movie, Business Kev. <laughs> uh, so I love, so now the, the point being is that, you know, these dynamics have ended up where they think Matthew Broderick's isn't some bumbling kid that accidentally did this. Yeah. So da- the civilian Dabney says, let me talk to him. Right. He's locked in the infirmary. They, the FBI brought him, they locked him in a, uh, an infirmary, uh, which is, and then Dabney goes in and, and wants to interrogate him. Uh, Dabney goes in, plays like his own game of, of good cop, bad cop, takes the kid down to his office. And while David is in McKittrick's office, uh, some hubbub is going on on the, the command center floor. Mm-hmm. So McKittrick leaves David, who he seemingly thinks is a Russian spy, in his office <laughs> with a terminal. Yep, an open, <laughs> logged in terminal. And McKittrick's, you know, scrambling his being, oh, there must be somebody on the outside working with the kid. Wow, and then David, good. in David's uh, idiot dinosaur brain, he says, well, let me look into this myself and makes bad decision 11 throughout this. And like actually uses the terminal to talk, to invoke the Joshua subsystem, which hasn't been removed yet, and mess with his computer some more. And... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, that's, I think he asks Joshua, like, what are you doing, right? And Joshua responds that he's trying to win the game. So now we know, because the hubbub right. is that there's hours. more have, okay. Russian activity, right? So now, yeah. And so that David's now like freaking out and trying to get it to these, uh, get the, the message across to these people who either don't take him seriously or consider him a threat. And he's like, oh my God, he's trying, you know, he's trying to get that message. And they're like, we don't want to hear about it. They lock him in, in the, the infirmary again. Yep. Hack number three slash four. Depends on if you count the buttered bread. <laughs> David's locked in the infirmary, it. believes the world's going to end, and is then motivated. And this is like such good red teaming stuff. I mean, this is, it makes you feel like you're on a red teaming engagement, doesn't it? Yes. And it, like, so, um, so, so you kind of set it up. I want before you talk about how he uses the tape recorder. I would like to just interject with something. So you start framing that the red team hack. Well, before he, he first he just does this assessment. I I'm locked in this room and I need to get out. So the first thing he does is what do I have available? And he starts scouring the drawers. And the first hack isn't even the tape thing. He this like physical one on one thing mm-hmm. of just like thinking outside the box. Some of the drawers are locked, but the drawers above them aren't locked. So removing one drawer to access the contents of the drawer, that gave him more resources. So he finds, in that assessment, he finds two hemostats and a dictation machine, all of which I love because it's stuff that would be in that medical office. Yes. Now, on that dictation machine, right, like, so like the little handhold tape recorder, he plays it, right, just so that we kind of uh-huh. – it's, it's mood setting, but – but what he plays on there, the audio that comes back is a doctor who's clearly using it as he's diagnosing a patient at NORAD, okay? Uh-huh. And he's saying that he's diagnosing someone and that they are, their eyes are dilated and they're showing that they are under the influence of marijuana and PCP. 
So like uh-huh. someone showed up for work at <laughs> high on on weed and PCP is what I take away from this. There's a serious problem. You know what I take away from this? Hmm. You don't remember much about the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, P- and PC people lace marijuana with PCP. It's what? not like, you know, you've seen, tra- we've seen Training Day. Oh, my They have gosh. a whole word for that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, anyway. Okay, yeah. so continue training with the hat, uh, Okay, so at this point, he starts, He we don't really see it necessarily, but he taps into and these doors these these doors are electronically controlled with a pad and cinematically and also part of this technical plot they're basically using DTMF touch tone code right so when you press a, a button on an old phone it's like do 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 uh would be my home phone yeah, number it's the, yeah mario theme song from okay. from the 80s so and so he uses this dictation machine and then he, he freak, he, he also social engineers the creepy. Okay. We got to talk about the creepy guard. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. oh my God. So the also swarming, wearing an ascot, by the way, a white ascot, ascot mm-hmm. dress uniform. I don't, I, you know, like, With a beret. A, like full dress beret air force. I, I don't know what the authenticity is, but the thing that, I mean, the biggest villain in this movie is this guy terrorizing mm-hmm. the receptionist i mean and also i mean serious vibes of when flirting goes you know starts to be you know they start flirting and she seems a little and then it just goes wrong and then he just gets so angry and vicious and this is the movie that i do not want to see but is I mean, of all the, there's like really no villain in this movie, except for this guy. This guy is clearly somebody who should be in jail. Uh, Just, just, oh, so, so bad. Yes, it was uh, over, you over But the you were top. saying that you liked this guy. This was your favorite guy. <laughs> I did not say that. Oh, before we recorded, you were like, oh, I didn't, oh, you didn't get, seem that, get that bad to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, but yeah, he's like asking about the tennis game and she's showing some computer. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, he, he just cheesy line. Then, yes, you're right. He's, he's oh, overbearing. Wait. And so this is, yeah. you know, this was, I had mixed emotions about this part of the movie because it was, it it's David escaping is 50%, you know, his red teaming hacking ingenuity and 50% thanks to sexual harassment. Replace uh, harassment. Well, so, let's just say that it's 50%. So, so David pretends that he's got to get, got to go to the bathroom and the guy, so David's tapped into the, to the audio. Um, it must be just basically, you know, like uh, audio cable lines, right? Speaker, speaker wire, basically between within this circuit. So and he's using like generating... those scissors and stuff, right? Or clamps? Yeah, or the something? hemostats. Oh, yep. sorry. Hemostat. Yep. So okay. he's got he he takes the the so the they had an external. Here's exactly what I had. had an external microphone plugged in, which is real. So the doctor could hold it up to his mouth and get a good re- recording, right? So he sacrifices that he he pulls the mic head off of that line and then wraps the wire back onto the hemostats and then taps the speaker out the audio out of the so you can imagine that this thing is touch tone code generating pad and it goes to some other microcontroller or some other thing that opens the actual lock so he taps the receiver with the two hemostats and presses record on the thing, then pretends that he's got to pee, and the guy opens the door and he says he doesn't have to pee. So the guy closes the door and goes back to harassing the waitress. And then you see him remove the the 
mic in from the dictation machine and move it to the speaker out. Right. And the only thing that that's like unrealistic about this is I don't know if these touchdown codes worked or not for like, I don't know if there's doors like this, but once you move that into the speaker out, that dictation machine wouldn't play it for the audience. Right. So he then, so he basically does this replay Mm -hmm. attack, plays the touchstone audio recording, which you could do. Like I remember playing touchstone audio recording into a handset and even through open error, like it would dial, Hmm. you know, like you could do that. Um, So he uses that unlocks the door then does some stuff where he, for some reason, the door kind of fries on his way out so they can't get into the room. That, they kind of gloss over a little bit. Yes, I didn't understand what he was, th- yeah, like what, what exactly he did to the to the door, but on his way out. Do you understand now? Did I do a good job? Yeah, no, you did. Oh, I okay. mean, I mean on the frying, right? Like, he oh, basically- yeah, it just makes like buzzing noises or whatever. I mean, he somehow he basically shorted it out so that it worked, yeah. but... Um, okay. So <laughs> I got to go back to my So basically he then. he's escaping because again, thanks to the tours, he blends in with the tour. Well, right. actually he oh, runs yes. down, he gets into like uh-huh. a utility kind of space. So he's climbing a ladder between floors. Uh-huh. Again, he, yep. he's, he he exits through like a a grate uh coming out of an uh-huh. air shaft that, or something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Underneath a staircase. And he he kind of blends into a blends tour. into yeah. a tour, but not before he gets grabbed by some random NORAD employee who like you uh-huh. know is like physically accosting this kid for no Which real I think that reason. That stuff did happen in the oh yeah, for sure for sure yeah. Uh, but you know, again, I think it seems like totally out, out oh, of yeah. place now watching these things, right? Like physic and the Whopper all all the time. We're cutting to the same footage of Whopper lights going off. Oh, I know, and exactly. <laughs> I have a you know that one lady whose job is to walk around Whopper. It's blinking red and yellow lights. Like there's just probably a thousand lights around the circumference of Whopper, and but she's taking notes on the lights. As I'm like, what exactly is she is she taking notes of right now? Still blinking. Check. Still maybe, blinking. Maybe she's just like, oh, this light is out. Oh, good. Maybe it's like this one doesn't blink <laughs> enough. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, but don't actually like if I mean business Kev, you could almost make an argument that the hero of this movie is between business Kev and her because here's we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. But so now David's out where he some in the background, he uh, switched from the tour bus to um, riding with a semi truck driver. They don't show any of that. Uh, they, the semi-truck driver drops David off at a payphone, but David doesn't have anything on him. And it's hack number five, yeah. phone freaking number five. So this I had to look up, but essentially, so David unscrews the handset mic, which I don't know, a lot of people aren't even going to remember these, but I certainly do. But it's just, so he unscrews the handset, uh, the speaking part, the microphone part of the handset and looks around and finds a beer tab, uh, pull tab mm-hmm. from a beer can. And I guess kids aren't going to know what that is. But before you had the popper that you have today, uh, my dra- my dad drank Coors Banquet out of a can with a top like this. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember it. And what he does is he touches that metal from the handpiece to the coin mechanism. And apparently this actually used to work somehow grounding that mic through the coin mechanism opened the circuit for the phone. I don't know why it worked, but that was a real 
just a product of the way those things were constructed and the way that the phone electrical systems in the phone were set up. So yes. can't tell you exactly why. Okay. I was half expecting him to pull out like a Captain Crunch whistle or something and do like that kind that, of That that would have been I think also accurate and would have been would have been cool. So I you know both both the the Captain Crunch thing you definitely heard more about. Or just hitting the uh, hang up thing 10 times and getting, you see that in, ha- that's in your hackers movie where they, they call back that trick is like just getting the operator by, you know, slam and, or just make a collect call. Yeah. Yeah. I think collect calls existed for sure. So David calls Allie or David calls Jennifer played by Allie Sheedy and uh, they have a little back and forth and basically she agrees to meet up with him. And then the next thing, well, to buy him a plane ticket, up, by the way, like that was oh, the other yeah. thing that like kind of I'm like high school then if someone called me and was like hey I'm in trouble I need you to buy me a plane ticket I I 13 year old Dennis would not ha- like know okay. how or first of all have the means 13 year old Dennis a plane ticket for a friend in need well but 13 year old Dennis in no way compares to 17 year old Jennifer which she's 17 by the way so she's 17 that's she says later on oh, okay. when they're talking about that she's 17 but 13 how young do you think people are so i mean anyway so uh they so and i think it makes sense because it's not only that it's him calling he's calling her and saying this isn't just about me the world is going to blow up if we don't do something so i think that it's it gives a little bit more gravitas so maybe 13 year old dennis would go and ask his mom for there's no way that Jennifer is asking her parents permission to buy. She had to pull the trigger herself. Okay. Right? Uh, yeah, she she did it, but I'm just saying that you're – I mean, I don't know. She probably has good parents too. But anyway, your whole thing uh, – the point – they then – she meets him because she's in Seattle. She goes down to Goose Island, Oregon, whatever. They show up, and all we see is some – flying pterodactyl <laughs> well you're also you're, you're forgetting like they almost missed the ferry and there's a cool jumping onto the ferry as it's pulling away scene which by the way too when they get off they get dropped off at the bus and the bus driver's like hurry up you're gonna miss the ferry uh-huh. and some guy's closing the gate to the ferry someone who works there oh yeah and they're like no we need to get on and like what he's just like okay you can try to jump onto the i'm uh, okay try by to way, jump on if you can we- because the ferry weeks ago, ocean. yeah. What? By the way, three weeks ago, I was with a buddy on a pontoon boat, and we we're coming to his dock, and he didn't quite approach the dock within like my stepping distance, and I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm not jumping. That's four feet. You think I'm gonna fall in this? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's just oh, like yeah. it brought back scary. It's like, and, you know. So uh, I definitely this is this is not a moment that I really. Uh, <laughs> also. We learned that uh, Matthew Broderick's character can't swim, so he's really taking a big risk there. That's true. That's later. Um, so how did how do you think – maybe the biggest technical flaw in this I'm going to point out, this pterodactyl's gliding around, which pterodactyls glided, but how did it get its initial height? I mean, it's so high up in the air. What mountain is on this island that Hotshot was able to – Stephen Falcon was able to launch the glider in the first place. 
uh well we learn later that he apparently owns a helicopter no no he has no. immediate access to a helicopter I'll, no you know who has immediate access to the helicopter hmm. the it's mckittrick's female director she's the one that sends that's an air force helicopter because it had an air force pilot okay. in the seat so he calls her so okay we'll get through okay, this so we'll get through basically okay. we 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 step forward falcons crashing this pterodactyl down i guess i'm gonna say if i'm gonna do the work for the movie he could have used a hot air balloon and a release device to get the thing its initial height i'll give that to him it's got rc controls for the glider and then he's obsessed with dinosaurs because he's obsessed mm -hmm. with extinction events. Yep. And we cut and basically is this lecture of this com former computer scientist saying, what's the point? Actually, so we, we I skipped it forward. David mentions that, aren't you Steve? You know, one of them says, aren't you Stephen Falcon? And he says, get off my damn island. Right. And they miss the ferry. They're looking for. Oh, OK. Uh, they, 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 he, they somehow compel him to listen and hear him out by, by saying this, uh, Hey, aren't you Stephen Falcon, but the world's going to explode. And he just moves on to, and I think that he is like, this Falcon's personality is so annoying to me of like, I'm telling you that the world's going to explode and you want to talk to me about dinosaurs for an hour. I can just see like, it is like such perfect frustration in their eyes of like, I, I know people that when you want you have something so tangible or so concrete to analyze with somebody and they're they're like rambling on. <laughs> I guess sometimes maybe I'm that person too, but it is just like <laughs> so infuriating. This guy's got such a nihilist. So he's lecturing to them about extinction events, and they're he doesn't. It's not like he doesn't believe them that the world's going to explode. He doesn't care like that, or he just projects this thing. Like yeah. Also, you know, where was our understanding about dinosaur extinction at the time that this movie was made? <laughs> Definitely, Carl Sagan was was alive because and, he's and like the, one of the crux uh, of his uh, arguments is that nature chose to destroy the dinosaurs oh. and reset, right? And is not. I mean, a meteor is part of nature, right? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, okay. I don't know. It's, so it's, that, that it's, was a bit it's of maybe a. Uh, if we're gonna do work for the for the movie, we're gonna say that okay. Well, meteorites might be a force of nature, um, but they basically they get so infuriated. And the point is that this guy's whole worldview was crippled by losing. He's just dealing with yeah. this loss. So he thinks that there's, he's got no reason to live and his nihilist attitude means that like nobody should want to, you know, nobody should care about living because people are so temporary. This that's the kind of underlying theme is that his view that people are temporary, but then he's got these two young people in this world and just their youth and their energy and their compassion and their intelligence inspires him to in the background, what we don't see, I think he calls so he knows that they're freaking they're freaking out. He's got access to his old colleague, Mitt Kittrick's assistant slash affair person oh, slash girlfriend. Okay. I think because and the reason that I say that is because so they send an Air Force chopper, pick them up. They rush to NORAD again, right? They're flying the helicopter from Goose Island, Oregon to Colorado, NORAD. And everybody at this point, World War Three is real close to happening and they're evacuating all the non-essential personnel from NORAD. So while they're shutting this all down, she's there holding the door open for them. 
right? So Air Force helicopter and she knows what's going on. She gets that female director gets gets them into the command side. Yeah, and by the way, like you're right. The whole, World War Three looks like it's about to kick off. Everyone's freaking out at NORAD, right? Joshua's still playing the game. the The screens at NORAD are lighting up with subs and freaking, you know, talking about missiles in the air and all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And they issue the warning to say, we got to lock NORAD down. And then it cuts to a scene of them just closing a gate, right? Like all Uh shutting NORAD down constitutes to closing the gate at the front of NORAD. And at the same time, we have this, like, all of a sudden, there's no roads to NORAD anymore. (laughs) Like somehow that cruise, that that tour, tour bus made it up there. But for some reason, maybe it's like where the helicopter pad is located. Oh, yeah. We've got this rad Jeep CJ racing oh. up the hill. And it and it's this is something I read about on IMDb. They have this rollover crash. Yeah. And apparently that was not supposed to happen. They were supposed to drive through the fence, but instead the stuntman accidentally got into this roller crash and they just used it. Oh my God. So because they shot- that, I wrote that down because I'm like, okay, so their plan is to drive through the gate and then immediately crash the Jeep and almost kill everyone. Like- no, they used it, which I think is just so, I mean, it, the obviously it's a real crash, so it looks real. It looked, yeah, it totally looks such a rad Jeep. Uh, and also I love that just like no windshield. So it's just like, and that is really what it's like to, you know, just like to be on a situation where there's these dirt roads and it's just like coming in. <laughs> like you're just yeah, this it. topless, <laughs> yes, the topless Jeep. I love right, Like, yeah, just uh, rams so through the fence and then immediately hits something and, so, and dumps everyone out. So we're basically at the last scene. They race in the command center. And I love that the general and McKittrick or the general, I'm sorry, McKittrick and Falcon, just have this like underlying competitiveness still. And they're giving, I can just imagine like in 10 years from now, I'm going to race a new command center and you're going to be there. And the first thing I'm going to say is just like, Oh, Dennis, um, nice mustache. You know, it's just, you know, it's just just like these, whatever this, this, you know, they're just trying to one up each other in this like quirky way. And, and so Falcon is basically saying the system's lying to them. So he's still convinced that um that well he he knows that this isn't real and that this is compelled and they don't believe him but falcon gives them this argument which i think is like a pretty poorly formed argument about mutually assured destruction i mean his thing is just like it doesn't make sense for the russians to blow you up so why would they be blowing you up and there's very little data behind it the general it tells the president to wait based on this poorly constructed argument and gets a bunch of these uh, runs out of line. Like, so any any target that they have a, a command center near, he calls up and there's like this one super squeaky voice kid <laughs> yes, yes. on the phone. And he gets all these people and it's like, he's giving them a pep talk, but the whole subtext is like, we're going to wait to see if you can still talk in a minute because you're first to be blown up. Yes, by exactly. Like, he says, okay, like he calls out the squeaky voice and the squeaky voice kid's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and, and his response to him is, there are 2,400 nukes about to land. <laughs> and, uh, and you're, you're, you're in the center. So we're going to listen. So just stay on the phone for a second. Kind of keep talking. We just so And we in a second. Well, golly, boss, sure, sure will do. Yeah. And by, and by the way, real quick, because we glossed over one thing before we get into okay. the, the climatic part. I just, we uh, really need to to give a compliment to the unsung heroes of NORAD who still think Faulkner 
and freaking David and that whole crew when they show up last second put their visitor badges on. They're, there's like a scene where they're racing. <laughs> hey, they're racing. Protocol is protocol. Protocol is Dennis. protocol. Like, did they yeah. have to sign in as they were racing into the thing, like where she's Probably. holding the door open for them? Oh my God, that was so great. I, I love it. But so, uh, countdown, you know, 10, 9, 8, seven, and then zero. Um, is anybody still there? And this pregnant pause, oh, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, and then uh, all of a sudden it's like, well, golly, boss, I, I'm still here. We're okay. And and movie's over. It's all good. Yeah, but it's like with such a weird reaction that everyone's having. Like the general is just like crying, laughing, and like everybody's just everybody laughing. Loves it. Everyone is like – Everybody loves oh, it, everybody but it's not it. open. It's not. Professor Falcon, I am a computer. It's not done yet. <laughs> So the computer, we just basically we get a brute force cracker subtly on the screen. And then like as the celebration goes, Falcon walks over the screen and he's the only one that puts together that Joshua is, uh, I mean, his Joshua's first plan was uh, to get to make it look like Russia was attacking the U S and get us to actually launch his missile and then Russia. And then it would, you know, that's, that was Joshua's plan. But, uh, now that that didn't work, he's learning, he's evolving and he's going to launch the darn missiles by himself. So he starts trying to crack the launch codes, which is a 10 digit code. Uh, and Falcon picks this up and they start thinking about what's going on. And Falcon saying Joshua's trying to to get in. Uh, Joshua's trying to launch missiles directly. Um, so then they try to log into the system and stop it, right? But the Joshua backdoor was removed by Business Kev. Business Kev <laughs> gets the job done. Like it's been two hours, and they audited that source tree, mm-hmm. and with, without your fancy static analysis tools, oh. they found the backdoor subsystem. Mm-hmm. They stubbed it out. They committed the code. They got it into production. Emergency response. It's not just shutting off the modem. They do the code base response. It, business Kev's mean time to remediation has just got to be sick. You know, it's got to be minutes, minutes. So good. I mean, if you're going to like, okay, yeah, we learned our lesson. Maybe we should look at all the source code that we inherited, you know, 25 years ago from this guy that died. (laughs) (laughs) But, But other than that, but David is like, well, we've got another way in through the games interface. So they can't talk to Joshua. They can't use the Joshua UI subsystem, but... David's idea is let's ha- let's start teaching this thing about futility because so they look for a bunch of games and they can't the one that they don't see on the list they try every game and it's like this game access unavailable a game that's not listed for some astronomically unexplained reason it tic tac toe yes <laughs> and the most tieable of all games even though I'm pretty sure I would, I could easily lose tic-tac-toe not paying attention. <laughs> but oh, yes, okay. but uh, David starts manually and we get one guy, this is my, this, the other guy that I love at this movie is like David sitting there at a computer terminal and it's like got this brilliant idea to start teaching the computers through the futility of things by playing this tie game of tic-tac-toe. And he's about to start his first move. And one guy chimes in from the background. and is like, put an X in the center square. <laughs> <laughs> And David just looks at him like, 
hey, I got this, bro. Yeah. Back off. Like, Hold my beer. By the way, uh, is that another, like, since I think that you went through the movie notes, like, tell me, like, that was not a scripted line. Like, some guy just couldn't, some extra could not I contain it. himself. Some guy's trying to get to SAG. Just... Yeah. Some guy wants to get SAG minimum. So he's like, can I say something here? Maybe he, he probably he just is, it. that guy, he's either working for the production or he was like the coolest best boy grip like mike phone holders and they're just like hey let's give tom a line you know Uh, put an action in the center square (laughs) got it so then they're like okay well let's let's um you know is there any way to do this faster i'm not gonna play a bunch of games about tic-tac-toe and accidentally lose one and all of a sudden we're all dead and falcon's like Yes, put zero. Why would you program? Uh, it's like a demo mode, I guess. <laughs> like programming the tic tac toe game so it could play itself. But uh, put in zero, and then it starts progressively playing tic tac toe faster and faster and faster. Well, that is a real uh, thing, I will say. In in is to have it play itself. Absolutely, and this is where I have the biggest fault of the the, the movie, which I'll get to once we're we're done. But. Can I try to guess what your biggest fault is so that I can just steal your thunder? <laughs> uh, well, do you want to finish the movie and then you can steal my thunder? Okay. okay. So, tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-toe. This game sucks. Why are we even playing movie over? They teach it through machine learning. No, you're, forgetting, you're, you're forgetting that like the, the computers blow up because of tic-tac-toe. Also, by the way, it's playing so many games of tic-tac-toe. I, I just, yeah, I didn't know why the lights, but there's not even that many games of tic-tac-toe available. Like how many times is it playing the same game of tic-tac-toe, right? Like, uh, yeah. Um, was that your thunder? No, not at all. Okay. Um, meanwhile, Joshua is trying to crack the code, right? And well, he's, here's another he has cracked the code. By the way, oh, he has the okay. Full, so we skipped over this one. Code. So he cracked he cracks the code, and but the, and it's a cinematic thing, right? But he's cracking the code one digit at a time. How long could that take? If there's some oracle in the algorithm that indicates whether or not he's got a correct digit, there's like a thousand. You know, there's so few combinations of what it can. Well, be, this right? is where business Kev kind of let me down a little bit now in hindsight because remember they're like once. Once they, they we think the movie's over and everyone's celebrating and then there's like, you know, then we get a glimmer, uh oh, it's not over. It does cut to business Kev when they realize Joshua is trying to crack the code mm-hmm. and he's like instructing his people to go run around and find and like find, physically locate all of the random number generators or something that are attached to Joshua, like there's some. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, but, so it's like I mean, that seems Kev, smart. No, it's very Why smart. But I'm like business, Kev. You're able to go through all this source code you've never, apparently, never seen before, and cut out. Like you said, we were getting given credit for him to remove that password and everything. I also think it's realistic at this time period that random number generators are hardware based. Yeah, you know, like collecting real world entropy from something. Yeah. Um. But, you know, because, but I just feel like yeah. if that's so the case, your... you know, business Kev is going to know where all that stuff is, you know? Oh, like go find, I mean, Hey, we're not a detail. Business Kev is not a details guy. <laughs> <laughs> business Kev is just, yes. Uh, no, but so, okay. So, so yeah. But so. I think that this, this is probably, you know, I mean, some, one thing that like when it gets nine numbers and there's 10 possible combinations left and it takes them a full minute to crack. Yes. <laughs> you well, know, they did say that to me is like, oh, for sure. That was so funny. Yeah. Cause it should be like instantly nine, then 10. And then, <laughs> yeah. um, 
but uh, when business or no 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 um, uh, hero number two the 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 subordinate right with the questionable relationship the female director yes yeah. she yeah. uh she says that it's gonna take it would take joshua five yeah, and a half calculates. minutes right so she's right. like we have yeah. the we have a rough time that it's gonna take them to get it done mm -hmm. and that's probably cinematically right right sure yeah, I like it. But um, okay, so Maybe, so the computer. Let's, do a, let's do a little bit of work. Let's do a little bit of work and fix this uh, computer taking too long. What if the hashing algorithm for the code takes like five seconds for every code? Like it looks like it's flashing a bunch of codes up there, but if you take that out and it was like, but you could, you did have the Oracle, so you could crack number by number. So you have ten digits and five seconds per each try you know, using just the hashing algorithm or whatever. Maybe maybe that does a little bit of work for the movie. So even when they got to that last digit, it would still take 50 seconds. For yeah, but also the other thing too is remember, it's sort of like it's somehow solving and figuring out the digits in a random order too. Like the first digit that gets solved is like the sixth digit, mm -hmm. you know, where I would kind of expect it to be able to figuring out yeah. like, you know. Yeah, I mean. Anyway. Okay, we're doing some work. Also, let's do a little bit of work. Let's fix this light problem while we're at it. Let's say the same computer controls the cooling system, like the HVAC, right? And it's using all of its energy to play tic-tac-toe. The cycle, like the power is drained from the HVAC or, or the, con the controller stops managing HVAC uh, or, or, or whatever, uh, the relay for the light. And all of a sudden, um, the light blows up. Perfect. Solved, okay, right? that's good. That's why it's dark now. <laughs> yeah. So that happens. Uh, then there's a great, you know, like the it's dark. Joshua comes back onto the screen or, you know, like kind of it, he's talking. Professor yeah, he's Falcon. talking, but we can still read his. It's still being projected what he's saying on the screen. And he's like, yeah. hey, what? It, see something like what a strange game. You know, the only option to win is not to play something like that. So and, he doesn't he blow up the world. about tic-tac-toe. And applied it to global thermonuclear war, right? Yes. And then the punchline is, how about a nice game of chess? How does the computer know that chess is awesome? I mean, if global thermonuclear war is a tie, then why does a computer think that chess must not be a tie? <laughs> Which even computer scientists to this day do not know if there is a forced win for white with chess. So... Uh, that's my question to you. That <laughs> actually the, is where the people want to play chess. <laughs> yes, exactly. I actually kind of thought that too, because not 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 chess players like me that ultimately lose most of the time. It's a definitive either someone's winning or someone's losing. We're only going to tie if I accidentally screw up a checkmate. Um, and uh, yeah, but I'm like, the, there's ties all the time. What the heck is he talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just clear. I mean, it's obviously. I I don't think that it thinks that chess is a good game because you can't tie. I just don't understand if okay, tic tac toes up, dumb game because it's always a tie, and it extrapolates that and learns from it to apply to global thermal nuclear war, but not chess. That is like yeah, like that's the abstraction. Is just like uh, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and the other glaring thing is that there's this confusion again around consciousness of Joshua throughout the movie and this like a much more realistic, albeit maybe accelerated understanding of, of machine learning and applying 
lessons learned to evolve and then this idea of consciousness and where where joshua falls on that spectrum yeah i I wasn't even getting too hung up about that with my stuff i will say one more movie movie uh note (laughs) then we'll get into like why i you know things that were glaring uh, issues to me but so my final Mm -hmm. note was like that that scene where you know joshua doesn't blow up the world and everyone's relieved and it was you know, because David taught it, you know, futility through having to play tic-tac-toe, like you said, and then him and McKittrick look at each other and he, they, he like tussles David's hair and everything. And I'm like, you know, are we forgetting about the part where you almost coerced a false confession out of David just like three hours ago and you were going to give him give up his right to a lawyer and now you're tussling his hair? Like, oh yeah. What does and, David do? David tussles his what hair right David back. Do? I know. I know. It's I like David. Come we're all on. Move, we're all moving forward. We're all learning. Everybody's got to learn, Dennis. Uh, okay, we <laughs> made mistakes. Know. Just seen the bridge too far. Okay. Uh, all right. So here we are. Here's the the. I have two actually now as we've been talking about this. Okay. All right. Um, and I'm gonna go with the actually the newer one, the one that kind of popped up to me as we've having this discussion with two problems. Okay. So number one is global thermal nuclear war. It uh-huh. is a game in which it was a two-player game, right? When when David started this from the beginning, like mm-hmm. Joshua, David picked Russia, and he's going to play as Russia, and Joshua is going to play as the United States, right? Did I get that mm-hmm. right? Like, so yes, Joshua is playing as the United States, right? So what I don't understand, so and and David through the simulation, the game is given active control of his resources as Russia, right? He gets to say. Mm-hmm move the subs, launch the missiles, do all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So why does Joshua, as the active player for the United States, not have any of that ability? Because the whole reason this movie unfolds is like Joshua is trying to trick the humans in NORAD into making his moves to fire missiles at Russia, which doesn't make any right. sense. This is a simulation with two players. Why is Joshua not in control? But in some ways, Joshua is testing what he has to do to win. He's like, you know, like you're like the classic animation of the snake trying to get through the maze, right? Like you hit a thing, like the computer snake, right? Yeah. Like an auto maze solver. Watch a video of an auto maze solver. Uh, I've written right? one, yeah. Fills out, it's then backs. Okay. So I think that that's what, I mean, you could, you could say that Joshua is following that, right? So at first, um, I, Joshua... You know, he at first Joshua is just playing the game or winning the game. At some level, Joshua realizes that certain things don't actually provoke the U.S. to do action, and then he pushes it further. So, okay, they unplug, you know, or whatever. They just realize that it's not going to explode, and then he says, "Well, let me try to get, let me try to trick these people into launch. Let me try to trick the the U.S. into thinking Russia has launched their missiles." So that's a try. And then, you know, people come in and say, okay, it's not real. Eh, uh, I'm still here, boss. And then Joshua sees that as a end of the wall, the maze, and he goes back and then he's left with one more try, which is, well, what if I can just launch the missiles myself? So then he starts cracking the code. So he tests things at somewhat random cinematic order. I mean, it's, it's obviously a movie, it's like fiction, but I do. I do think that it that doesn't. It kind of makes sense. Is like it's it's easier for him to trick people into launching them. As soon as he gets either side to launch missiles, he's got the game. You know, right? He he's making it real. 
Yeah, I, I just said it doesn't make any sense, right? It's like it's a oh, two-player okay. game. Joshua is a player. Why is he trying to try, like that? That doesn't make any sense. It to also me. takes more than five hours to get from Seattle to Denver. I, I you know, <laughs> that's my that was not me doing Joshua. That was me doing Dennis and <laughs> his nitpicking of the movie. No, but this doesn't make any sense, right? Like it, 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 it Joshua. What would you? What would make sense? Can you explain what makes sense in your? What would make sense here is if it was something more like, you know, it was a one-player simulation where Joshua is trying to bait the humans into it. Like, the fact that it's David, that the game was kicked off as Faulkner or David, like, you know, the computer thinks it was Faulkner, or right, Falcon. Mm-hmm. Falcon, um, yeah. And uh, it doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense, Right. So that that's mm-hmm. kind of nip that's nitpick number one. But I mean, like I think story breaking number one. And story breaking number two is um, you know, the way that they presented Whopper is that Whopper spends every single second of every single day of its existence running simulations. So mm-hmm. why I, I don't it doesn't make any sense to me that like He's run through, yeah. like it shows him going through every simulate after he learns tic tac toe. So, then he runs through every simulation of like how therm- global thermo- thermal nuclear war could unfold and determines right. that way. Like he doesn't need at that point, he didn't need tic tac toe to learn futility because with even never having played tic tac toe, he should have been running through every single simulation that could have ever possibly unfolded because that's apparently all that he's programmed to do. And he should have come to that conclusion already. Well, but there is that consciousness thing in there, right? But see, I don't, I don't <laughs> I, believe yeah, that like there's the, a consciousness part to like, I don't think that well, there's really a consciousness uh, part to this movie. Then why is he so keen on playing chess? I mean, I mean, yeah, but it's I'm movie saying, stuff. Whether, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, feel yeah. like Joshua went rampant, like he's a rampant AI, right? It's just, it doesn't, the thing that they use to say, like that what stopped him from doing it was is ultimate like was is uh, only pointing to something that would have shown that okay well if that's true then it would have prevented him from even doing it in the first place mm. so those were two big plot holes yeah. for me uh, i mean it's what seems like one plot hole uh, you know the you 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 discount no, one the it, consciousness no, no, thing no, there, and so you there's bring it. the first <laughs> the first plot hole is from a specific just game design that there's a huge game design uh, problem. And number two is an AI um, plot hole, like an AI design plot hole. All right, Dennis, it's official. Runtime of the movie, one hour, 54 minutes. Runtime of this podcast, one hour, 54 minutes right now. <laughs> and that's it. Let's so you're, you're genius. Oh, I got you. Let's hold on for my... It would have just been easier for these people to watch four games and draw their own yeah. conclusion. Well... Let's let's light, right, light up those it. comments. <laughs> rate it on a scale of uh, zero to ten. How good do you think War Games is? Oh, War Games, yeah, it's great. Uh, I think War Games should. Oh, actually, okay. So I'm gonna rate it. I'm gonna say War Games eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. And then Kev, I want you to rate it. And then uh, this is a, a little sneak peek for folks getting a, a little personal insight for Kev. He can name or he can get the IMDb rating of movies within I have to come clean. I have to come <gasps> clean. I'm looking I'm looking at the IMDb oh, <laughs> So okay. here game. Oh, well. It is a All good, right. it is a fun game. Fun but game. uh IMDb thinks it's a seven. I think this movie nine point five out of ten. It this is I would much rather watch war games than Godfather Part Two. 
mm. uh, both in uh, the fact that it's only an hour and 54 minutes and just personal connection to, you know, so I, I think it's, I think it's nine five for me. Amazing. Not perfect. Yeah. I, I, there is some, you know, uh, some stuff that I, I don't like or is kind of rubs my, I like, you know, I don't, the personalities, but it, that makes it also a better movie of just like there's personalities in there that. I see something in that like really fires me up <laughs> like fa- some of Falcon's Nile and stuff. And, uh, but uh, yeah, love it. Well, uh, yeah. Now's the part of the podcast where I put you on the spot to say something that you didn't prepare. Go. <laughs> that I didn't prepare. Um, hmm. I, uh, let's see. Did I didn't prepare my my? I'll give the chess update, perhaps <laughs> somewhat re- somewhat related Perfect. to war games. Okay, chess update. Chess update. I'm still hot now. I, I'm hovering around fourteen forty. I feel like I'm on. I'm I'm plateaued You're playing a little bit. These are ten ten minute five second increment games. Or yeah, what you, that's what's typically what I'll do, and then I'll play the arena games at just ten minutes flat. Well, yeah. Um, okay, but I had a one stellar. I, I immediately texted you on my one stellar performance that I had, and that <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm gonna miss that. No, you no. Um, when w- I, but let's talk about more early. Like, what's what's your Joshua progression? You know, what are the lessons learned? How are you evolving to try to to win more? How are you? You know, what's what's your what's your growth process been lately? My go- growth process is continuing. I like I've seen a marked increase in my puzzle solving ability. Where is that coming from? They're just from practice, from, from practice. calculation, from practice so and patience is the other thing. Which so Joshua's crunch. He's doing two things. He's going out and reading newspapers and calculating those things, right? So that's that's you reading books about chess. Mm-hmm. So he add, he compiles and then he's running simulations. So you running the simulations in your head, right? That doing those calculations. I do this. The computer does that. Me, me, me. How about a nice game of global thermonuclear war? Uh. <laughs> Your calculations improving, so your calculation is slightly. I mean, yeah. improving on the puzzle, but you know, we've chatted about this. I, I think it's a little unfair. Well, I, I definitely take it with a grain of salt. Assault the improving at puzzles because you know there's a solution, right? You get into the game, and I, yeah, I, I, then I revert back to my have to make a move real quick, and I lose with a shitload of time on the clock. Well, I'm glad that we have the TV, MA. I mean, we, we reserved <laughs> all of the foul language for this I think entire I swore podcast at the until of this now. Podcast as well, so oh, okay. if that makes the cut. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's lessons to be learned there. Um, yeah. Well, what mm-hmm. about you? What's the what's what's the update before we go? Mm, well, let's talk a little bit about the podcast future. So this is season 1.5, summer blockbuster. Um, this is uh, just giving you guys a little, a little taste that we're not we're not done. We're coming back. We're starting to uh, plan some really good uh, season two episodes. Starting to to reach out to some great uh, throwback folks to to give us some new perspectives, um, as well as uh, hopefully some some other people coming to share its secrets. So, podcast is alive and well. And uh, this special episode was a uh, was multi first of all and and this movie is on amazon prime that was actually what sparked it too is uh if you have amazon prime and you've already committed yourself to the uh the the bezos ecosystem go out and watch this movie for free or for the 99 dollars a year that you spent <laughs> yep all right this was uh, a great suggestion i liked sort of the mid-season content so uh, season 1. 1.5 and we'll be back next week to talk about the 1980s very similar movie the manhattan project <laughs> have you seen that i don't 
think so. Okay, so we'll be back next week to talk about the Manhattan Project. All right, I've got homework to do. All right. All right, like that. Thanks. Bye.